You're listening to Plans We Make. I'm Ryan Lott, founder, composer, and singer of Sunlux, and this is our first of three episodes discussing the theme of technology with some of our favorite artists and collaborators. Today, I'll be talking with Chris Tabron, a multi-platinum producer and mixing engineer who's been fortunate to work with artists as diverse as Beyonce, Mary J. Blige, Common, The Strokes, Charlotte Day Wilson, Battles, and D'Antford. He does remix work under the name Madison Avenue Girls, which he says is a long story, and has been a longtime member of the Sunlux family. We first met Chris when he invited us to be a part of a free recording residency at Red Bull Studios in New York. He was at the helm there, sort of the artistic director and lead engineer, and under his charge and direction, not only were a huge number of artists given free studio time, the resources of engineers and equipment, but also he trained engineers there. So basically, several times over the last four years, he would create this opportunity for us, which means he was really fundamentally responsible for bringing a, a good amount of Sunlux music to life. Until Brighter Wounds, I was the only one who ever mixed Sunlux music. It was just something I did myself. But I took a risk and turned out not to be a risk at all. Uh, invited Chris to be part of the mixing process. I mix some, he mixed some. And in that process, I basically learned what a better mix engineer he was than I was, and that the best thing to do for Sunlux was to figure out a way for him to mix as much of it as possible. <laughs> so that's what's happened. So yeah, a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to catch up with him in his studio in Brooklyn, and uh, this is what we discussed. Yo, Tabron. Hey, hey. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for chatting with me today. I'm excited to basically just hang out with you. Yeah. As <laughs> as is our want. Yeah, it is funny how often we communicate, but we actually don't look at each other. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about this too. It's also funny how often we have dialogue, but kind of don't talk. Like we <laughs> we talk very like you know. It's like oh yeah, what about that? Okay, that's cool. You know, and it's very like. We're, we're trying to get something Experts. done or dash to a finish line of a, of a deadline. But I do feel like, I, and I don't think it's an illusion. It's not like I like have the illusion of keeping touch with you because I follow you on social media. But like, I think we actually do have a dialogue constantly by virtue of working together. And that is sort of like a touchstone of keeping in contact with one another. But it is it like, it would feel like I'd talk to you and had a like substantive deep conversation with you about life and the world three days ago, but I haven't actually been in the room with you in a year. It, it kind of makes me wonder what people with normal in like normal professions are like, because <laughs> I feel like I feel like something that's amazing about making music is that we are in this like constant community. You know, we're all doing our own things and we're all connected to our own things, but we're also always connected together mm -hmm. and it's like the it's like it, our projects are this glue for what's really there which is our which is our friendship and i think it's like something that i i i, I always think about how like what other professions are like that i mean maybe it's maybe it's, this is like general humanity shit but yeah i think i'm used to i'm accustomed to kind of like the cadence of some of my best friends i've made making music with them but I see them once every album cycle when it's time to make another record. Yeah. You know? And then like yeah, yeah. loosely hear about fun on tour. Uh, for those listening, tour was a thing that used to happen when musicians would play outside. <laughs> um, 
but then you'd have these really intense like it'd be an intense month of working together and like there's no room for facade there it's sort of like just bear it all and like talk about your deepest darkest secrets and they're like all right i'll see you guys in 18 months and i wonder yeah i i think also similarly like what's it like for people with quote unquote normal jobs but the other side of that is i think wow i'm probably so maladjusted to anything that would look yeah. like that like yeah. i don't know that i could do yeah, it yeah what, like the water cooler conversation i don't know that i could do uh right you know it's it's funny we're just constantly making a record and we've learned uh, we learned pretty quickly that um you should you should be mixing them so it feels like we're never really out of communication even if even if like the excuse for talking is is the records we're making yeah we're just constantly making records <laughs> but to me that's where the dialogue i mean yeah i think that that's i i i guess you could make it a, a sort of chicken or the egg thing is it like do we get on so well because we've made music together or is us making music together so easy or fruitful because there's something else, there's some other commonalities that we're that we're just eas more easily revealed by virtue of us all being creative professionals and maybe it's a bit of both maybe it's not like an, an either or thing oh i think it's i think it's both yeah i think it's both I mean, and again i just think it's like music you know reveals real like kinship cuz i feel like you could you could work really intensely with folks and not really feel a connection and i think that's you know with with i know with you not just because of your technical proficiency and your your ears and like your musicality and your good looks your sense of humor not just those things stop um, keep going <laughs> but i i know just like there's there's definitely a sense of camaraderie that's that's deeper than just um that we have made music together yeah there's a lot of people that i consider friends that like if you remove music from the equation and just on paper, you probably couldn't find more different human beings <laughs> mm. that like mm. I can just get in the room with. And it's just like there's yeah, there, there's a way that there's like not really it's not really a lot of room for artifice there. And this, mm. like you sort of are who you are. Once you start communicating without talking, which I think is a lot of yeah. music, that's yeah. sort of who you are. It's pretty hard to fake that, you know. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, there, there's quite a few people that I know that, like, man, like, I'm so grateful for this mystery of music, whatever this was that we discovered, that uh, enabled me to just be in the room with this human, uh, let alone the calamity of good fortune that means we're both alive at the same time and they weren't born in the 14th century or something. But, like, I think of that often because I've always felt like a bit of an outsider in my life and a bit of a, like, loner to a degree, but sort of... I could, you know, f fall into different groups and, you know, when you become socialized when you're in middle school and high school, whatever, but like never really like fell into a clique, you know, and never really had a crowd and yeah. never really had like a, yeah. um, and in, I in, can relate to that in sort of, yeah. And, and in being able to like code switch really well, you can sort of, uh, it's a good task to learn and a good skill set to have in, in the world, but you can also sort of lose focus of like, okay, but who am I? Because I'm code switching constantly to try and mm. amend or or serve a different code of conduct in this social gathering and this social so on mm. and so forth. And then music, and I, I was saying this the other day actually to a friend of mine, like music was always this thing that was simultaneously the hardest thing I've ever done and the most natural. Mm. <laughs> and, 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 and it's also, as you know, it's like, cool, I'm going to embark upon trying to become a master of something that uh, no one has mastered. <laughs> Uh, 
and there are masters, but I think like it's sort of, you know, if, if you do it right, the end of your run on, on this, this plane of existence, you'll still be trying to get better at it. Yeah. And the nature of the, the nature of the gig is, is it's, it's, it's also your own path no matter what. Yeah. And I think that that can lend itself to being, you know, maybe, maybe it's a lonelier path. I mean, I think that the path to trying to be great at anything is a lonely path because of the sacrifice that one has to make and all the, the, the things that you have to get right in your head about like, cool, what am I willing to give up for this? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, especially this abstraction of a thing. Yeah, maybe that's actually a good segue because technically mm. we're supposed to be talking about technology. <laughs> yeah, let's hit it. <laughs> We've been talking about technology. Well, actually we have, you're right. Um, but yeah, so like for you, what was, I don't. I actually don't really know anything about you growing up. Like what was your original connection to music? I would say, I mean, my, my family was a musical household, although there were no professional musicians in it. Um, and my parents were music fans, you know, they're a bit older. And I, I would, I always say like, I was the only four year old that knew all the lyrics to all the Sam Cooke songs. Cause my dad would listen to that in the car all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, or, or like Fanny All-Stars salsa records that my mom would listen to, you know? And I think I, so, so thus I sort of started at looking at music as this thing that brought pleasure and fun. And I didn't really see it professionalized. And I think that that's, uh, it would have been nice if my uncle was Quincy Jones, if I wanted to be a producer, sure, in some ways. But I think also it gave me the sort of underpinnings of like, this is just something that brings people joy. And like, yeah, 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 and look yeah. at how crazy it is. Like, I remember sitting in the car, like, and when you listen to the radio, I remember thinking like, wow, like there's millions of other people listening to this song right now, probably singing along to it, to a guy who wrote this thing who's not even around anymore. Um, I remember like having that thought at an early age and it's interesting. You're the way you're describing this is telling because I often default when someone talks to me about my beginning in music. Um, I often default errantly actually to talking about piano lessons, mm -hmm. but of course that's not my first experience with music. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I also like never have had a music lesson before or anything. Like I sort of, I can putz around on most instruments kind of, but like another influence to me was my grandfather lived with us my whole life uh, until he died in 2001. And so like my, my father's father and he would sing these blues songs to himself in the kitchen while he was cooking. And I have such a fond memory of that cause like couldn't tell you what the songs were. Mm -hmm. Um, and I not, would not necessarily call his falsetto impeccable, but it's endearing. And I, was, I also remember thinking like, wow, like his grandmother was born a slave. And there's probably songs that he's singing that he heard her sing and her, her mother's mother sing. You know, and I'm just like, the, the multi-layered valence of all of that was never lost on me. Um, mm. And I think I, I was fortunate, I guess I said my parents were a bit older than, than people's parents were who were my age. And I think I was lucky to have elders in the house like my grandfather um yeah yeah and spend a lot of time with people that are older than you who just have lived life and have this kind of experiential uh way of looking at things through a different timeline because you're seven and so a year is one seventh of your life but what's one seventh yeah, of yeah. someone's life who's we've 80 talked years about old? this before yeah yeah we've talked about this before and yeah. so i think also you know i think broadly construed man like i i, I was just thinking about this this morning uh actually like 
and you know this because you're a father, like we're born listeners. I think, I think that like when, of course there's touch and sight and smell when you're a baby, but, but well before your vocal cords have even developed, um, the ability to produce speech, let alone your brain is actually solidified in a way that you can actually articulate a thought you're listening and, and through mimesis, that's when you get like, you know, the first words, but like, I think something happens in most people, like once speech becomes a thing, that sort of becomes more important than listening in society. I think very easily it's mm. like the talking becomes more of a thing than the listening. I think that for some reason it's common for, for children to get acculturated out of doing the, all the listening that they do as babies. Wow. Yeah. And that, and then I, there's, I see this happening right now with my son actually. Mm -hmm where it's he's it's it's really a flip switch where he's much more he's much more comfortable speaking than maybe he just takes after his dad <laughs> but he's much more he's much more comfortable speaking than he is um like listening like mm -hmm. he, he'll he'll like really focus in on speaking but he won't like super focus in on listening yeah i think also i had to uh, yeah it could be the sort of loner thing and sort of growing up in, in the way that I did, but I think I had to do a lot of listening, maybe a, mm. bit, a bit more than the typical kid growing up. Right, um, right, right. So you were, you were an only child? Uh, well, I have three older half-brothers, so two from okay. my mom's first marriage and one from my dad's, but they were quite quite a bit older. I think there's 16 years between me and the next youngest. Um, so they were all out of the 16. house. Yeah, yeah, they were all out yeah, of the house yeah. by the time uh, I came along. So ostensibly an only child, spent a lot of time alone, had a lot of like things that I had to sort of work out on my own that required listening uh, in the in the sort of philosophical sense and in the literal just like, meh, you're going to just chill. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's fascinating. But I think that also one, one thing about technology that I would say, uh, because I think this, this sort of bears on my perspective to technology, something I always say is that language is a technology. You know, like language is one of the first technologies that humans discovered, you know, and and as a approximation of thought, you know, there's the whole sort of platonic sense of like, OK, the thing that I'm saying is never really 100 percent what I'm thinking, but we're trying to get close to it and close to it and close to it. Um, so <laughs> well, I like to, a good parallel there to mixing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I like to think of I like to think of language as a technology because then you're thinking of technology as an enabler. That's all I think of technology. Right. Like I'm, I'm sitting yeah. in a room full of a bunch of esoteric gear and I know all the stuff and I'm a nerd and I like to take it apart and do all those things. And blah, but, but it is to serve an end. Yeah. Uh, right, and, right, right. and such is the same thing with when you and I are talking about music. Like that's why when I called you the other day about uh, the next single, I'm like, I just wanted to hear you talk about it. I wanted to hear the language that you were using and what, you know, like you could be talking about a thing that I don't even understand what it is, but the fact that you're mentioning it means it's important. Yeah, that's something I really appreciate about working with you is that you you do understand the difference between uh, your tools and the music. Um, you understand the difference between the act of mixing and storytelling, mm -hmm. um, of, conve of conveyance, you know, um, I think that. Um, that's that like elusive thing um, that, in my opinion, really, especially when you're so like, like you said, you're surrounded by your your gear and like all the all these 
tokens of your accomplishments, right? As as an engineer um, and as someone who's devoted your life to making audio, like when you when you get that Fairchild, like you're, that's like a token of your accomplishment, right? <laughs> and it's it's like it's like it it's there validating your your existence um, and all of your efforts, right? <laughs> and you can easily substitute it for the thing that you really are doing. But I think. Uh, you know, for me, people always kind of like think that because I make music like electronic music, um, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, that like that I have tons of gear <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, I have no gear and I, I, I really have I, I shouldn't say no gear because um, there really is such thing as no gear. Um, but I have I have very um, I think that was like that was my a little bit of my uh, privilege uh, just uh, eking out there I apologize I have very little gear and um, it's something that I'm it's like a personal challenge to have as little equipment as possible mm-hmm. and it's proven to be logistically extremely important for me because I've moved around I moved my life around sure. so much and I've made music in, in so many different places and I'm um, just constantly like shipping like monitors and interface and you know, like hard drives and everything like all around. But um, I love the other day when we were chatting and I think I sent you an old photo of you messing around with a Juno and you're like, yeah, but like I've never played a synth in my life. And I was I, like in my 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 first response, and I think I was like, I, I didn't even type this. My first response was like, the world is your synthesizer. Of course not. Like, like you're going to like yeah, sample something yeah. into your phone and chop it into something and make something I, no one's ever fucking heard of before. Uh, why limit yourself had, to I've, a synth? <laughs> I haven't owned a uh, hardware a hardware synth um, since I was like 18, 18 years old or something like that. Mm. One thing that that I realize is like for some reason in in pro audio, I think it happens probably because like younger engineers coming up don't have access to gear, and that's that's a a common lineage even today. Even though a laptop has more power in it than they had to make most of you know early records, but. So they mm-hmm. think that like, oh, once I put this this piece of the puzzle in here, once I have the Fairchild or once I have the thing, then yeah. and that's, and I see it all the time with, with young engineers that I'm teaching and they like sit at my rig and they have all the plugins and they have all the stuff that they read in the magazines and then they like overdo it, of course, yeah. and use everything. I think it's easy yeah. to valorize gear. And yeah. and I actually that that brings me to this question. Do you know what kind of uh, piano Bill Evans played? Uh, uh, no. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I think yeah, most that's... of the people that we admire, at least it's the tips of their fingers. Yeah, and absolutely. And like if he wanted to use a Steinway yeah. or he wanted to use like a, a Mason Hamlin or he wanted whatever, like it doesn't matter. And so what, yeah. I, what I don't understand is like for some reason in the engineering community, it's always a thing like this mix sounds great. Oh, what's that, a Fairchild? Yeah, 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 I thought so. <laughs> you know, but like never, never do you see a guy crossing the finish line at a marathon and being like, yeah, Nikes, I knew it. I knew it. Had to be the Nikes. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I think part of that is because we, you know, when we're obsessed like we are, we reward ourselves with um, tools to can keep doing what we're doing. Like, mm. I, the last time I purchased an article thing was just for photo shoot. And, like, I just don't spend money on, like, because whenever I feel like I have some cash, I'm, I'm like, just going to, yeah, I'm going to put it into music, you know? Um, and, and, and it's like, if you're a gearhead, that's what you do. You you reward yourself uh, with with gear, and so I think part of it is just like a self preservation mechanism where we have to <laughs> hmm. spend. We spend so much money on something, like if it's a piece of gear, 
um, you have to love it. You have to rely on it. I'm trying to think if I think of it a of rewarding myself. I mean, I guess I do. I do that. Sometimes, oh, you do, bro. But I, I, but, <laughs> I, I, but I don't know if I like internalize it as rewarding. Like I remember early on a mentor of mine being like, don't buy anything. if It's not going to help you make money. And that always, always like stuck with me. And then like that changes yeah. once like manufacturers start giving you stuff for free. And like, you know, you get, yeah, the, you know, that, right. that changes the whole ball game. I think I buy, I reward myself with instruments. Um, mm. Like that Moog was yeah. definitely a reward. Um, yeah. But right. Pro audio gear, like I know, I I or do the price piano. tag. I, the, the piano. Did you buy 100%. that piano, by the way? It's uh, yes. the deal. The deal's in the in the. It's gonna happen. The deal. I mean, possessions nine tenth of the law, yeah. so it's already okay. sitting here. So I'm in a good bargaining position. But yeah. Oh man, speaking of technology. Yeah. Dude, piano. The piano. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm a I'm a pianist, and I've fought the instrument for like most of my life now. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it always wins, but it's like, part of it is because it's that the technology is so, is so perfect. I, it's just like something that I, I'm intimidated. I'm intimidated by the instrument. And I, and I think part of the reason why is because it's such an incredible work of engineering. Like the technology is so bafflingly, like the, the way in which the technology serves the creative purpose is so there's something so perfectly and like aligned with it Mm -hmm. that it's like just one of my favorite things in the world um on that level alone i I, it's also my least favorite thing in the world because it never (laughs) because i can't i can't win but um, it's funny it it is i i I thought of it in terms of just a genius of engineering you know piano is one of the hardest things to record simply because it can be everything it's a percussion instrument it can reproduce almost every frequency and yep. you have to decide like the colors that you what want to capture of it. Yeah. yeah what aspect of it because you have to you have to choose you can't and it's yeah, and can't. it's dependent similar to drums i think it's dependent really heavily on the personality of the player yeah. um because there's there's just yeah i mean i've i've been fortunate i mean i i've like sat next to herbie while he's playing you know and 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 glasper and i'm just like wow, they're using their whole bodies with this instrument, you know? And it's yeah. just like, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, huh, I'm doing the same voicings, but it ain't really popping the same way. Yeah, yeah. I remember, actually, I think one of the first times I went to Red Bull, um, when I sat down at the piano there, you're like, he's like, yeah, last person that played that uh, piano was Robert Glasper. And I was like, I was like, well, it's not going to sound the same. <laughs> and, and that's to your point, like it's it's uh, it's about the union of the of the human and the and the technology. I think there are also very few again. I mean, you know me and, and drums. It's probably my favorite thing to record other than vocals. But it's one of the few instruments, too, where like it's I mean, you tell me because you actually play, but like it it pushes back at you, you know, like it, mm. it like, yeah, the the amplification of it is you, you know, there's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's so immediate, um, mm-hmm. whether or not you're going to play it as a percussion instrument or whether you're going to have it be this mellow thing or whether like how hard you're going to pedal and how like indignant you're going to, you know, like, are you going to, are you going to flat finger it like Thelonious, you know, or are you going to do something nicer? And it's sort of, it seems to be this, this beast that you're just sort of like, just hold on, <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and actually this is a, this is a perfect topic to discuss, which is that each piano is different, right? And so, and it and it does. It pushes back to you on your fingers, on your feet, and also the frequencies that speak 
and where they speak and like and how they make your body resonate as you're there and it kind of depends on like how much contact you you have with on the piano at one time because you're also your fingers are not only absorbing the action but they're also absorbing the resonances that that are sympathetically communicated through through the through the action and into the through the keys right there's this totally um kind of immersive experience of of sitting there and playing the piano that that really can't you can't describe um what drew you to piano when you started out oh just the family rule oh yeah yeah it was like my my family was not was not musical is not musical um i'm like even my extended family i'm i'm um like totally the black sheep um join the club man we'll get jackets made Yeah, so I just I just did it because I had to. I was it was required. It was like just like it was just like it was like more of a function of my like well-rounded southern gentleman upbringing, you know what I mean? Ah, okay. But at what point did you realize like, oh, I actually have a if not an outright gift for this, an inclination towards pursuing it? Well, it wasn't my playing, it was it was writing. It was what the piano enabled me to do, not what the piano um what I was supposed to do, like basically, I realized that I could make my own music, mm-hmm. um, and that's when it came alive for me. You know, it was like the act of recreating what others had done was was endlessly frustrating to me, and I was I I was never, I I still think this is true of me. I, I have trouble internalizing someone else's music and interpreting it, or internalizing it, and like you know, in the case of like uh, European classical repertoire, for example, like. I can adore it with my ear, but I can't do justice to it when it goes through the filter of my my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. Not sure why. But I fell in love with music, like really, when it became <laughs> when it became about me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no. It, but really, um, I also think that as I as I started to play other pianos other than the one that like that I had at home, um, I my, my my mind just really started to open up because it was, I was playing that piano at home. I wasn't playing the piano. And then I had um, Mr. Brown, my sixth grade music teacher. He had a um, disc clavier and oh, cool. he was the raddest dude. Um, it's funny. I think he was one of my only black teachers in my entire education experience. Mm. Crazy. And he, his whole vibe was so distinct and I was so captivated by this guy. He had this idea where he said, bring in a song, um, one of your favorite songs. I'm going to work with you on the disc levier. And he said this to everybody, each person on the disc levier to recreate to learn, to take the song apart, learn its different parts, guitars, bass, keyboards, drums, and we're going to recreate them together on the disc clavier and, and sequence it. Mm-hmm. So he, he taught us how you open up the guts of a song and then like make a new version of it for yourself. And I was just like, it was like totally, I mean, seriously. I, You're I, allowed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure it sounded like absolutely terrible and cheesy. But um, he would give me time on this thing. I'm totally just remembering this now. The first time I, I haven't remembered this in a long time. He kept mm. it in a storage closet, like, you know, undercover. And it was like, you know, locked away. And I remember he actually gave me time with it. I had to do it in the closet, though. 
um, I had to go into this store, keep it in the storage closet. What? And he, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, because it was like he didn't he he didn't want it out like where the kids would like bang on it and stuff. Like I think oh, okay. this was his personal disclaimer. I don't think. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I don't think it belonged to the school, so he kept it locked up. But he gave me. And he what age were you at this time? Sixth grade. So what? Okay. How old are you in sixth grade? Somewhere between like twelve, five, and twenty years old. I I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't really. Um, and yeah, and and at the same time, my piano teacher um, was. Uh, my like my neighborhood piano teacher had totally run out of like things that she could help me with basically and she was handing me off to like a, a fancy uh professor at Wesleyan University. So I, I did this thing where I basically grew out of my music teacher in elementary school and then I like upgraded really hardcore to and to a I was basically going at 11 years old. I was basically going to college um, for music at Westland. I, I was in, I grew up in Connecticut. I was in this this woman's like in her studio as a pianist. But at the same time, like on the other side of my brain, I was like starting to play in bands. And Mr. Brown was teaching me about like how to use a synth. And I was starting to like write like rock kind of tunes or whatever and and um mm -hmm. and use and, and this was like totally pre-computers you know i mean like dude like because i was born in 79 so like i mean we had a computer at home we started having i think i think i got a computer at like 15 and it was like an early mac like an early mm -hmm. it's like a quad no we upgraded me for college to a quadra 605 <laughs> oh wow <laughs> Um, what did you and have? I, uh, 428 megabytes of a uh, hard drive space? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it was. I think it was 256. I think it was 256 mm -hmm. megabytes or something like that. And then I got a G3 in in when I was a sophomore. In uh, like, but blue and white. G3 blue and white. A yeah, blue and white. Uh, I have one of those babies too. <laughs> Dude, that thing and that thing rocked for like. I say this all the time. Years. I had a blue and white G3 with a Pro Tools Mix Plus before they had HD rig that thing never crashed i know I may have restarted it once in my life yeah it's it, still it, more stable than this rig i have right now i never had to restart on os9 never I made restarted so much music on that thing and like it was mm -hmm. so reliable 300 megahertz six gigabyte internal hard drive yeah smoke it. um it was like it was amazing and it actually wasn't loud it wasn't until the mm -hmm. G4 when they got really loud. Do you remember that? Yeah, I had the mirror door ones that yeah, was loud. Yeah, I had that too. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I got it. I plugged it in and I was like, there's something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm getting this for audio. <laughs> like, What's <it's> right? Like... <laughs> What's funny too is like the computers then, like it was like, it almost had to be like, okay, this is an enabler of music. I'm not going to open up my email in another browser or right. like Netscape yeah. Navigator while I'm work tracking because yeah. like this computer can only do this thing. And now it's like the computers are like so powerful that you're like, you know, you're doing 17 other things on a thing. And like, that's why I like I have no iMessage on any of my rigs here. I don't have any distraction things. But in a way, the reason I asked you about this sort of your genesis with the piano is because I know I know a lot of pianists, but I think that it's. And it's always an instrument that I've, I sort of romanticize. It's like, man, I wish I'd taken piano lessons as a kid. But you sort of stand out from that pack in a way that like you, you seem to be willfully irreverent, having mm. learned the canon, having learned, you know, because I think that there's an empiricism that comes with like 
common practice period music and learning learning the canons and doing all these things right yeah. and then but but like i feel like you sort of maybe this is like a, a an overcorrection and, and rebellion that came from youth or whatever but like you seem to be similar to me with like with like gear but probably for for different reason like willing to just be completely irreverent about it and like this this thing is an instrument that is i'm going to respond to and it's going to respond to me and mm -hmm. i don't care i just need to get this idea to come out yeah i think there's a there's a couple uh, that's cool i mean i appreciate that to me that's like uh, that's a, definitely a compliment and i think partly that's because of that what i was describing earlier which is that i on it on the terms presented to me i i was i flailed um, have, having the opportunity to both write and perform on the instrument on my own terms, um, that's when things came alive. And it's like I've always been able to perform um, far more difficult and complex things that I write on the instrument than I could ever, like, read on a page. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's that's fairly common with folks. But it is also something that I've chosen, that I learned to embrace. I think when I was in uh, music school, I remember – so vividly one of my fellow students was in the adjacent practice room and she was playing the list sonata b minor sonata mm. and it was like and it's like one of the most like monstrous like pieces of piano writing in the classical european classical repertoire and i was just like feeling defeated because i was just like they're trying to like play like relatively simple like mozart or something right and then i like i just had this moment where i was like you know what my guess is she can't do this. And then I just, out of my head, played something, grooved super hard, got really wild, nothing planned in advance, made that instrument, you know, turn into like a bunch of sparkling, jagged mm -hmm. pieces of, you know, glass and and wind and, you know, just like, you know, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and, and then I realized, like, I, I just like have this such vivid memory and I was like, I'm not going to mourn the musician I'm not. Um, I'm going to celebrate the musician I am. And I feel like, you know, I, I try to take that into, yeah, into everything, you know, like the piano for me now is a secondary instrument. Like the studio is my instrument. <laughs> it's like such mm -hmm. a cheesy, geeky, like <laughs> electronic music guy thing to say, but... <laughs> Um, like the studio is my instrument. You know, it's like it's, it's like the you know the the piano is a is a is is a fun, is a secondary function of of my mm -hmm. music making for sure. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I might be like romanticizing the the genesis of Ryan Lott in the in the closet with the, this clavier, but I think like <laughs> it's probably it's pro I would I would gather I would hazard to say that that formative moment also was like oh. I can hear myself without playing at the same time, and now I'm dealing with sound on sound. Yes. And now, now I'm composing in a layered way, and it's just yes. like th there's infinite possibilities yes. here. And then I got my—I think my parents must have picked up on the fact that I was freaking out about this disc clavier because then, like that Christmas, they mm -hmm. got me that D20, which yeah. was like my like that's that was my first sequencer, um, mm -hmm. and that's where I learned to like customize my sounds and make my beats and basses and synths and like mm -hmm. and like and, and then like I don't think. I guess it could ping pong. I can't remember how it would. You maybe I just down. had eight tracks. Yeah, like it maybe I just had. Could. I can't I remember. I remember. Yeah. But anyway, um, but it there was a little <laughs> disc drive, a hard, uh, floppy disc drive. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, it's amazing. You know, I I sort of started out not. I mean, I I remember two 
really uh, formative moments for me, and there wasn't anything as as romantic as playing a piano in a closet, <laughs> but I do remember being in my brother's car and Prince Kiss came on. And I was like, and he was, he was always into music. He actually taught me how to use an MPC. And um, I was like, why does the, the drum sound? I, I couldn't have been more than eight or nine. And I was like, the drum sound weird. What's mm. that? Like, that's mm. the, the, is something wrong with the radio? And because, you know, Prince hardly used bass in his songs that's in that right. era. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, he was like, oh, it's probably because there's no bass in the song. The engineer or the producer probably put a reverse reverb on the kick. Mm. to like fill it out and i was like the who the, yeah uh, what there's another yeah. i just thought prince just kind of went in and it was like one two three and then like there's right. just a thing yeah and i'm like there's another guy that's making a thing that is hyper real yeah, yeah. what yeah. and that's yeah. a job you say um and so that you know i think i started out i like my my first like professionalism in in music was starting out as a dj and i think i still have those kind of um, sensibilities with what I do now as yes. a producer or a mixer. Yeah, uh, that makes to sense. Find, yeah, make things kind of go together, and 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 all you're doing as a DJ is managing energy, mm. and I think that's all you're doing as a mixer, honestly. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. And, and a producer broadly construed. And then yeah. the second moment is uh, when I was working at a. Uh, this must have been Chung King, uh, with Tony Maserati. So early on, like after I'd I'd been on a, a record label and like had just finished my first and probably only record um in in the band that was just me um i was like mixing that i was like moonlighting at tony's studio mixing that and in exchange for like assisting him for free during the day and so he had two rooms there was a green room there was there was a bunch of rooms at chunk king but he had the green room and the, and the blue room and i think yeah he was in green we were hanging out and i was just always like just trying to be conscientious assisting whatever and he's like gets a text message from will i am and he's like, Will says he's going to be here in in two hours. I guess I should start that mix down the hall. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, what? Huh? So he like runs down to the, to, and I think they had a J in the blue room, um, an SSL. And I've still to this day never seen anybody. And they, this thing came in like, okay, put together, but it was a demo. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like yeah. watching this guy play his instrument. And, right. and it's like, and this isn't just like a, oh, this is, you know, let me just put a little sprinkle on top. It's done. Like faders were at zero and dude was just like, yeah, it was so inspired what he was doing. And in 40 minutes, it sounds like that. Uh, Where's the love? Justin Timberlake. Like it sounded yeah. pretty much like that. Yeah. And I, I watched that. And then Tony was like, all right, I got to go get some dinner. Will's going to be here. He said he wants to chop out the bridge. Do you know how to chop out the, <laughs> the automation on the SSL? I remember you told me this story. Yeah, I, t I think I told you that. And I was just like, and I was like, uh, my my rule at that time was to at all costs say yes because I've I never gone to audio school. I didn't know the full school. context of this story. Okay, though. I'd never gone to audio school, and there's people that are staring at a phone in the lobby that went to three years of audio school and hate me because I just happened yeah. to get in somehow, yeah. right? And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I got you. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So. That to this day, you would never do it because you're just chopping in Pro Tools. But he had all the automation simply striped out on, on the desk. To this day, like, it probably would take me 20 minutes to half an hour to do that. It's pretty hard to, like, chop the automation on a downbeat in the bridge, whatever. It took me an hour. And just as I finished it, like, I'm literally, I did, I figured out how to, first thing I did was like, okay, let's look up under the S's in the manual, simply. Let me figure out what that is. And so... 
he walks in the room as I'm playing it down to check my edit and thank God it was fine. And he was like, hey, man, did you just finish that? It shouldn't have taken you that long if you mess up or something. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I was but just I, like, you know, yeah. just listening just down. Like, tuning. watch out for that. That snare, that snare in the second second verse changes a little bit. So just watch out. And he's like, yeah, OK. And he sits down. I sit on the couch like frozen. And he he like plays it down. Tilts his head to the side, switches speakers, plays it down again shrugs and then just like keeps working and like 30 seconds later will walks in and then we're there till five in the morning finishing the song and at the end and like at no point was anybody like you saved it look at what my assistant did he's a genius like it was just like i got to hang and like if i had fucked that up like that would have been a wrap and, and you'd be talking to somebody else right now probably but um on the way out that morning i just remember like the the reward was hey man what you doing tomorrow and I'll be like, I don't know, yeah. rocking with you. And he'd be like, yeah, come on in. And, I, and then <laughs> yes. like, I remember on the train and I lived in the middle of nowhere in Brooklyn that on the train the whole time I was like, I want this feeling all the time. Like I want to be the like silent hero, you know, yeah. all the time. And I've like chased that constantly. Um, and that's when I that's those are like two sort of formative moments that also like I think still shape me to this day of like, yeah, I, I like, I look at my gear as like color palette things and whatever. And I, and I, and of course love technology. And I've always been that sort of geek who knew how to solder since he was 12. But at the end of the day, like, okay, I needed to figure out that this is to serve the thing that this guy is going to now, it's not just like chop out the right. bridge so that, but it's so that like he can walk in and the thing's already done. And now we're just vibing and making this thing the best thing it can be. So I try a lot to get the technology to be invisible, you know, and, and to similar to you, be irreverent to it. Cause a lot of the time that's right. I didn't yeah. know how to use gear. So I would use it the wrong way and come up with some cool sounds, yeah, you know, or I would leave right. Chunking or, or Sony or, or hit factory with Tony and then go to my crappy little studio and be like, well, the snare sounds way different there than it does so, here. You know what? And, and actually, and that brings me to a, a good, like, it brings me to one of the reasons why I think we work well together is that. I never had any like formal training making music with a computer. I never had uh, never had any aud- like audio engineering training at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I just kind of picked things up along the way and and like you know basically tried to use each time I would get a tool I would really try to figure out how to make it like sing um, mm-hmm. rather than like how it's supposed to be used. More like what can I do? What can I get out of this thing? You know. Um, and what I wind up doing a lot of times is, is coming to interesting, uh, creative results by really just playing and experimenting and things that definitely there's a, there's a, like a right way to do them. Um, you know, I'm, I, I often sort of arrive in that region of result, but having gotten there in a very different way. Um, and I think when, when, when you get mixes from me, like rough mixes where I send you my stems and now you're like, okay, what, what do I need to address? What do I need to embrace how do I get inside this, the mind of this, 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 uh, production slash premix, um, you seem to have a good way to balance your knowledge of the way things should sound and like the way things should be done with the particular energy of where I've arrived at 
at, at the point that I've handed things over to you. And because it's such a fine line, like we don't want to lose what's unique about like how I created this thing or how and, and now in, in the case of the band, like how we create these sounds, like we don't want to lose that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, so things got to hit and things got to be, you know, got to compete with the sort of the universe of music out there and a music universe of sound out there. And I feel like we can always trust you to like know where to like how to strike that balance and without compromising in, in either way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that you are adept with your skills and you have the you know how to use the tools the way they were designed to be used. Um, and yet you don't have the bias. You don't have a bias um, to, toward that and, and against um, like kind of like more non-traditional approaches. Yeah, I think, I mean, reference mixes are, especially in today's era, super important because now they become like working masters, you know, like because everyone's got the plugins and the things to kind of make right. things pretty yeah. much the way they're envisioning it. Now, I think there are situations where, I'll, I can't remember the last, there was one on volume one that I did where I just sort of put all the faders back to zero and redid a thing. Um, But that was not out of like my uh, irreverence for what you were doing. It was like, oh, I know what he's doing here. And like, I want to try and do this this way. And I think that there's always something useful in a reference mix, even if it, and yours always sound good, but like, even if they sound quote unquote bad, I think releasing yourself, I tell a lot of young engineers is to release yourself from the ego of being like, this rough mix sounds like crap, you know, like, because they've been listening to it Uh, and they like something about it and you have to figure out, your job is to figure out what they like about it. And it's not to tell them what's wrong. It's to take, okay, the snare's six dB too loud. Yeah, but okay, it's exciting up there though, isn't it? Yeah. So how are you going to keep the right. same excitement and make sure it's going to sound good everywhere? That's your job. And, right. and I think that like consistently, uh, you know, I, I learned this at an early age from people like Tony and Bob Power, like as a mixer, there's a direct relationship to um, the, the, how well you do your job and how little evidence there was that you did anything at all. Because I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear a mix. Like, I think that that's not, I don't want to hear something. I want to hear a song. And that's when I know I'm done. And I'm going to send it to you when I hear the song. And, and I've said this many times before, like the, the best compliment anyone will ever tell me about a mix I did is, wow, that's a really great song. Because I don't want yeah. them to hear the mix. I want the yeah. song to be its best version of itself. And so for me to like go in and be, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Or, ooh, that lyric is like, okay. And then like, I need to find the technical correlation for this affect. And that's just, that's just what we deal in. We, we both do. And I think you in a new position of having mixed your stuff before and like you're in the DNA of it. So like, there's not something you're going to send me that's going to be like a mistake or a thing you haven't thought out, you know, yeah, you're going right. to, it's there it's for gonna be a reason. Yeah. yeah. And it's my job to be like, okay, word, like how Without do I make betraying this thing? that tension? How do I pair mm-hmm. my solutions with his intention to maximize the yeah, yeah yeah yeah? And it's cool. I feel like you've also like in the recently with like even on the, at the mastering stage when we've been working with uh, Dave Kutch, um, I hear him also you doing t- telling the story with his with his technology and his ears. He's telling he's even refining the story even further. I and I, and I think with the common conception is like if there's one aspect of 
of like start to finish music making and, and releasing it's like it's mastering it, it tech the technical the purely technical job is mastering but it's actually mm. not, it's I, I, that's a misconception i think yeah. um and I, and it but it's a conception that i've been i've been abandoning slowly as as personally i've tried to master my own things using ma- learning mastering tools and trying to compare like and just like what i do with you where i like compare my mixes to your mixes because on brighter wounds we i mixed half that record you mixed half that yeah, record yeah. and I only mix the instrumental, like instrumentals on, on volume one, but all the hard, all the hard, hard work you did on, on volume one. But, um, I, you know, it's like comparing, comparing my mixes to your mixes. And then also like my attempts at mastering with his masters or really anyone else's masters that are, that are good. It's, it's crazy how like we can even use the same tools, but ultimately there's, it's, it's so elusive. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's so much more than the, the technology, you know, it's like, yeah, I think, I think it goes back to just sort of the an interesting, my, just this conversation sort of reminding me of just how I even started mixing for you. I, I think maybe you remember, but I was like, I think maybe you had just started, we just booked you in to start recording Brighter Wounds maybe. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember being like listening to the music and, and I, and, and, and completely sincere about this. I was like, I know this guy mixes all his own shit. And it sounds good, but I think I can contribute and I think I should just tell him that. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And I didn't say anything about like, you know, I've got this new compressor, man. And I think that right. I, you know, but I feel yeah. like, and, and that just that paradigm, A, your, your willingness just as an individual and as a collective, as a band to like, either if you're going to, one thing that you guys are really good at is like, if you're going to trust somebody, you're going to trust them. You yeah. know, you're not going to micromanage right. it. It's like either That's you're right. going to not trust them at all and not get them involved. Or, and so I've always felt enabled by you guys. But I also think that like, my paradigm has always been, okay, Ryan's not coming to me to really, first and foremost, do anything technically that he can't do. He mixes all of stuff before. So what am I bringing to the table? You know, I need to bring something to the table, a, a perspective. That's right, you know? yeah. And that's, right. And, and that's why I think it, it works really well. I think that, that I really appreciate our working relationship because it's like, I always feel like I'm not just like, the audio janitor doing something you don't feel like doing. I feel like, yeah, oh, you're calling yeah, me because yeah. you want my perspective on this thing. And now this dialogue happens that we're, that's enabled by technology. But I'm like listening to this narrative of this reference mix. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And then I just start. I mean, you should see it once once we're in the room again. Like the first half hour, I'm just kind of playing. Yeah. I don't know what, <laughs> what the knobs are doing. I'm just yeah. like, I'm looking at color. Pa- I'm just mixing colors. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, that's, there's a sadness in the bridge here that I want. Okay. That's, you know, and like, yeah, yeah. and I feel enabled by that just by virtue of your willingness to kind of give that over, you know? Um, so I, yeah, I, I deeply appreciate that. But, I, and I think that's, that's just a recognition that what we are ultimately doing, as you said, is like, you know, we're making, we're making art, you know, and we're doing the technical always has to start. We can't get, you know, tangled up in the, in the technology of it. It's like back to what you originally said, like going back to the to to being a listener, not even a maker. And that's what I think is hard for me is like I am so enamored with the making of music start to finish. I'll sit there and mm-hmm. mess with an EQ for hours, like even the technical stuff. I just like I, I, I can get wrapped up in so much. And it's so weird. I feel like I'm still in one one territory with this, but I always have to mm-hmm. remind myself to be a listener. And I definitely can say that even though you're the one with all the gear and the room and all the expertise, 
about really like mixing like professionally having worked with you has been probably more than anything else that has reminded me recently to be a listener because what happens is the mix comes back to me and suddenly I'm able to be a listener. It's like mm. the weirdest. And I think I've tried to explain this well, that to you That means we're in a good place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No. And I, and I, so it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. And you're kind of anyway. hearing me listen to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I yeah. get your ears and then I'm like, Oh, yeah. Like you take my ears and then we like do a thing and then you, and then you give me back your ears and I'm like, totally. Oh, and that's the thing I'm chasing. I'm always chasing in my pro like you only get a chance to listen to something for the first time once. Right. Yeah. And so like if you were to the untrained viewer, it kind of looks like I'm not really working. So I'll do a half hour and then I'll take a break and. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. You know, but like I'm trying to defamiliarize the familiar constantly. I'm trying to like get that like, ooh, I, ha I forgot about this part. And I, that's why I like I work in a way where I don't really solo a lot. I don't keep really it, lose oh, things. Oh, right. Because you got to keep, keep it fresh. It flowing yeah, yeah, because I yeah. want to keep it fresh and I want to think about the audience who doesn't care if this compressor is 60 years old or if it's a plug-in or if I mix it on a Mackie in the bathroom, you know, like it doesn't matter. Um, that said, that said, you do not mix with a Mackie in the bathroom. <laughs> well, hey man, you haven't sent me the rest of the files for volume two yet, so let's see. <laughs> if it's right, appropriate, I would require that trust from you. <laughs> speaking of which, I'm never, we're never gonna finish volume two unless I get out of the phone. <laughs> so, All right, fair enough. Let's wrap this, uh, dude, thanks yeah, again man. for, um, for just hanging out and um, like I'm it's it's obviously it's it's been an honor to work with you but it's also kind of just like I love the fact that this was an excuse to just hang out for a little bit so yeah likewise man this is great yeah yeah thank All you right, I'll All see right, you in like a matter of minutes on text I'm sure <laughs> later, <laughs> later. Thanks to our friend Chris Tabron for joining me. Really loved getting to hang out with him on the mic. Uh, head to christabron.com for more about his work and follow him on all the social media stuff if you feel so inclined. Plans We Make was created by me, Ryan Lott, Ian Chang, and Rafiq Batia, and was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs. Special thanks to executive producers Michael Kaufman and Hannah Hauser for all of their support. And be sure to subscribe to Plans We Make wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, drummer Ian Chang will be taking the host duties and interviewing artist Su Gwen Chung, a pioneer in the field of human-machine collaboration and an amazing multidisciplinary artist. And guitarist Rafiq Batia will follow that up with an episode talking to DeAnthony Parks, one of our absolute favorite drummers and an incredible thinker. I am Ryan Lott. Thanks for listening. <laughs>